0: For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Luke chapter 1, verse 44 and 45. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What is The in utero John the Baptist, so excited about, right? Leaping for joy in Elizabeth's womb. What is he so excited about? Um, I want to try and answer that question by way of a word picture. I want to try and imagine um, that you had spent your entire life in a jail. And really like one of those old world jails. I always think of kind of the bars, like Old West or something, kind of stuck. And that not only has your entire life been in a jail, but you were born in that jail because of the, the crimes and sins of your parents. And they were born in that jail, and that for generations upon generations, all you've known about your family tree is jail and the miseries and discomforts of jail. And then imagine one day, you see this very strange person, kind of the guards open the door and someone comes in. So it's this kind of like strange-looking person coming to jail. who doesn't seem sort of like the rest of the members of the jail, those um, who've been jailed. And as they're coming in, they sort of flash in their pocket a key. And And you're the only one who sees it, but you now know that you have the key to the door that's keeping you confined. I think that is a picture of the joy of the in utero John the Baptist in this moment when he meets the in utero Savior of the universe, Jesus Christ, in Mary's womb. It's so small. It's this one tiny first trimester baby in, hidden within Mary's belly in one particular town in one particular country, and yet this actually is the sort of um, momentary glimpse, this momentary revelation that the key to the jailhouse is now here. Right? The, the whole work of redemption hasn't yet been done. The, the door hasn't been opened. The prisoners have not been set free yet, but the key is now in our possession. That, I think, is the joy of John the Baptist, the sort of very first epiphany, as we're about to go into that season after Christmas, the first revelation of, we're about to get set free. Sin and death are about to be undone. And, you know, having the key in your possession isn't the same as having the door actually opened with that key and being released from jail. That wouldn't happen until um, 33-odd years later. Right? That's the day when the key actually gets put into the door, and the door opened when Jesus was crucified and was raised from the dead for our sake and for our sins. On that day, the key gets used for what it was intended for, but the very presence of the key, even prior to that, is a cause for excitement. Incidentally, um, and this is just um, happy circumstance, happy providence, I should say, um, for about 1100 years, on this day, December 19th, um, this is the 19th day, right? Oh yeah, okay, yeah. For about, for about 1,100 years. Uh, um, um, for 1,100 years, the church gathered and they prayed this miniature hymn called Antiphon, and the one appointed for December 19th, six days before Christmas, is this. O key of David, and scepter of the house of David, that opens and no man shuts, and shuts and no man opens, come And bring the prisoners out of the prison house. Them that sit in darkness and the shadow of death. So on these seven days leading up to Christmas, we celebrate these Old Testament prophetic titles of Christ Jesus. And this is a phrase from Isaiah. The key of David and key to what door? To the prison house. That we, all of the humankind since the fall of Adam, have been shackled in of sin and death and fear of death. And the warping that comes from sin. That prison house. The key is now here, when the Son of God took on flesh in Mary's belly. And I think, as a, one thing, I was sort of thinking about this week, and you know, in, in terms of just you know, as we sort of shift from Advent into Christmas now, uh, and we sort of begin this sort of cycle of remembrance of God's redeeming work uh, over again, right? And we, as we go through every year, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, it occurred to me that um, what we do as the Church is is we track God's great redeeming work in all the various ways in which it untied the brokenness of the universe. And a and picture that maybe just because it's been so tactilely at hand, but untangling Christmas lights right, the great bane of all householders in <laughs> November and December. You know, to get the light fully working, you have to get all the knots out. And what we do in the church is we retrace all the ways in which God himself got the knots out of our fallen human race. And I, and I love the symmetry, um, beginning even with the very beginning of the fall. How did it begin with, with a woman, Eve, taking a fruit in disobedience? And how does God begin his redemptive work of mankind? With a woman. Right? If Christ is the second Adam, there's a way in which Mary is a sort of redemptive mirror image of Eve. But instead of disobeying God, she obeys God. And instead of taking fruit, she bears fruit. Right? Blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. So we see God very specifically untangling sort of each knot of brokenness that has been wrought into us from our own sins. He untangles them. And then, of course, ultimately, and then taking on flesh, and ultimately, sort of that big knot in the middle of the, the light that seems to take half an hour, and this is very autobiographical. Um, no. <coughs> that would be undone in two stages of taking on flesh. And then in that very flesh, being the pleasing sacrifice for our sake, as we heard from Hebrews, the sacrifice that no animal could make, only the blood of God was sufficient payment, sufficient redemption for our sins. That would undo the great big knot, and the light, the light string is almost healed. Um, But I think as we sit here this last Sunday of Advent, kind of where we are in the moment the church here, one of the things I feel this morning is that... um, there's still a way in which although God's redemptive work has been accomplished, it hasn't yet been completed. There's still this sort of one lingering knot in the string of the light of, uh, I'm really kind of stretching the metaphor here, <laughs> um, in our lives, and it's that we still are waiting for the fulfillment. Hey, there's, uh, I taste this year a bit of the ache of the the seeming smallness of God's redemptive work. That just as it was so small, right, this in utero baby that John the Baptist is excited about. And then Christ's one particular life in one hidden part of the world. And even now, even as he reigns in heaven on high over the whole universe, such a small portion of the world recognizes his lordship. And there's this sense of, God, I want it to be bigger than it is. It still feels too small. I'm still dealing with sins. Save me from these sins. We're still dealing with sickness and death. Save us, Lord, from sickness and death. We're still longing for the fulfillment of what has been promised, just like Mary, right? But she heard a simple word from an angel and believed, and as Elizabeth said, blessed are you that you believe there would be a fulfillment. And in her belief there was the fulfillment too. She actually saw the Messiah born of her own body. I think there's a way in which we are in a similar place in that Mary knew she had full faith. She believed the message of the angel. She had this baby born, growing in her belly, though she'd never known a man. She knew this was the Messiah, but yet she hadn't seen the redemptive work fully accomplished yet. I think we sit in the same spot of, Lord, please make, make the Revelation of your work bigger. Let it be fully seen, and that's why, that's how Advent participates in the gospel. Right? That we're still longing for his second coming. Like God's redeeming work has been fully purchased, but yet not yet fully affected. The, not, the last knot has not yet been undone. There's still death in the world, there's still sickness, there's still my sins and your sins. But we're longing for the day, Lord. You've done, you've undone all all of this. Just, just one last knot to untie, please. We still cry out with that longing, that Advent longing. Oh come, oh come, Emmanuel. We're not just remembering Christmas. We're still longing, Lord. Finish the work that you began at Christmas, right? You've you've, as it were, it's sort of back to the prison metaphor. And I really should have tried to synthesize metaphors better um, for this <laughs> message. Um, it's like. If, if Christmas is sort of the Son of God entering the jailhouse as one of us, and those who kind of first get a glimpse of the key, Mary and John the Baptist, are full of excitement, and then Christ's death on the cross for our sake, that's when he puts the key in the door, and then his resurrection, the door is opened, and then when we come to faith, he takes us by the hand and pulls us out of the prison house, out of like sort of out of the actual jail cell, there's yet the work of him leading us fully into the new life outside of the jail, and that's the piece that we're still longing for his accomplishment for in our lives. So I invite you to um, to, pers- to long for that same faith and spirit that Mary embodied, of faith in what God is, has done and is doing, and yet also longing for the fulfillment yet to come as we straddle this day between Advent and Christmas. Amen.